Hi everybody, I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. When it comes to perfecting the customer experience, Milton Collins is an expert. As the author of Delight, Disrupt, Deliver, Milton is on a mission to ensure business owners provide the best customer experience possible. Milton doesn't just talk a good game, he walks it too. As a serial business owner, he's headed up multiple operations. He's the former CEO of Federation Square, where he spent his days running the Transport Hotel Group. He's headed up an importing and distribution business, and even spent time as the owner of a horse and cattle stud. Plus, he's renowned for his business now and is a sought-after and award-winning business coach. He drops by today to share how you too can delight your customers and deliver on your promise to create a customer experience that keeps people coming back for more. Welcome, Milton. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Sess. I'm delighted to be here. Now, you are someone who is very passionate about customer experience and customer service, so much so that you you wrote a book about it, Delight, Disrupt, Deliver. What is it about customer experience that, that you find so fascinating and why is it really important to a business's success? I think there's a whole lot of different areas there, but mainly people want an experience. And it's important that you think that you're not just selling a good or a service, you're actually delivering an experience. And if you can surprise people and delight them with that experience, then they're more inclined to be impressed and to come back, but more importantly, tell their friends and and refer you. Yeah, I think there's a stat that says something like, 86% 86% of consumers are, are happy to pay more for a good customer experience. So it also is, um, you know, makes good business sense investing in your customer experience, doesn't it? Absolutely critical because, um, and I, I always think that to deliver what they expect is only part of the journey. It's far more important to do those small little additional things they don't expect and that gives them the real wow factor that makes them then become more a loyal customer. And that's what we really want to build on, isn't it? That customer loyalty, because getting um, repeat business is the cornerstone, isn't it? It's the holy grail. (laughs) Absolutely. When I look at business, I look at five areas. I say one is lead generation, where people hear about you. First, then you need to convert them to a customer. Then you need to look at trying to get repeat business from them and then increase their average dollar spend with you. And finally, so they become a real disciple for you and they actually sell for you by referring other businesses. So if we're trying to create that great customer experience for our our clients and customers, what kind of things should we be looking at first? Is it things like their pain points? Yeah, it's finding out often um, so many you hear so many stories about bad customer service, especially in restaurants or in bars, uh, but also worse online where you go to a call centre or, you know, typically with the bank at the moment or Australia Post, etc., or any government bureau, often you, you've got to hang on for 30 minutes plus, sometimes an hour, which is just appalling service. And anything to try and change that would make a huge difference. So where do we go to find that feedback to see where our customers are not having the greatest of experiences? I'm a great believer in surveys and ask. You know, we need to ask our customers, one, what they expect, what they would like, 
and then make sure we deliver that, but also think beyond that and say, okay, what could I do to delight them? What is something additional I could do? For example, when I owned the conference centre and we had many large corporate groups here, money boards of directors, I overheard one night the team around the bigger table after dinner chatting and I was talking about how they hadn't seen Cool Mints for years and it all had all stories about Cool Mints and how it was a fond memory as kids, etc. Over here in that conversation, I didn't see anything. It was about 10 o'clock night. I rang a friend of mine who owned a local store in a country town, Woodend, where I was, and said, have you got any Cool Mints in stock? And he said, well, yes, but why? I said, I need them urgently. So he knew what I was like with my customer service and delivering to my clients. He met me at the store that hour of the night. I raced down, picked them up, bought them back, walked into the room on a tray with these uh, Cool Mints. They were blown away. To think that someone had, one, just overheard the conversation and, two, reacted straight away at that hour of the night, but they dined out on that story for years and, of course, became very loyal clients. Even though we'd done everything else right, it was something simple like that that really surprised them because it was totally unexpected. So that was kind of a, a, a bit of a happy accident, you overhearing the conversation at that point. What is something that's perhaps a little more concrete? It, like you did mention surveys. So when is the best kind of time to survey your customers? Or is there even a good time? Is it something you should constantly be doing? I think it's something you need to make also easy. We often get surveys sent to us. And even if we do want to do it, often just haven't got time. Or yes, I'll get back to that. You're better off asking at the time and it's much better verbal rather than trying to send out emails, etc., or letters. If you can have some short questions that are that you know you, you want to know for your business and also you probably know what some of the pain points are, if you can bring them up with the client as soon as possible because the best time is when you've offered that service or they've bought from you because then it's front of mind. There's no point doing it a week later. It's too late. Mm. Now, what about if you have a business that's online only? Because we kind of often think about customer experience as, you know, that face-to-face interaction with the customer, but it's equally important when you have an online business. So how can business owners that are online only make sure they're getting the customer experience and their customer service right? First, they need to test it. They make sure they keep testing it to make sure it's operating on how they believe it should. Also, you need to make buying easy, make it as easy as possible. If it's too complicated, you have to go through too many processes to purchase, then it just puts people off. And I know with online services, so often people get through to almost the paying point and then stop for some reason because it's got too hard or it's been taking too long. Once again, make sure you look for that feedback and if you can measure on your own system on online, see when people are dropping out and seeing what level you need to change to get them beyond that point. I think um, oftentimes as well that it's shipping or postage, like maybe that's something businesses could identify right at the front as, you know, like we do. It's X amount shipping. There's something that's mentioned right at the beginning of the customer journey because I think people go all the way through sometimes and then they go, oh, what's going to cost me? $15 $15 to buy this? What? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, no. 
<laughs> You're absolutely right there, Seth. So I think it's the surprise element you want to do away with. So if you can be upfront about that, or better still, price it so that you include the shipping so that it's not a surprise at the end and it's all wrapped up into the product you're selling. Yeah, or they go, what? It's going to take two weeks. I want it now. (laughs) That's true, but also I always like to say it's going to take two weeks, but try and get it there within a week so you over-deliver rather than say it's two weeks and it takes a month. That's nothing worse than that. It's better to extend the period and get it there earlier. Uh, That will impress them. What about if your business is a bit of a hybrid? So you do um, you do have a physical store, but you also um, sell online. How can you make sure that both types of customers are getting a matching level of service? It's easier in the store because they're there. You can read body language. You can talk to them. You can see how they react uh, and how long they stay in the store, of course, which is important. Online, it's much harder. It comes down to what stage they get through to the buying plan or if they buy at all. But once again, systems. It's all about having good systems or checklists that your team follow to make sure it's consistent. And how important is that very first interaction that you have with a business? Absolutely. We've only got one, only one time to create a first impression. And that first impression is so critical. And you need to make sure that it's a warm welcome and people feel special, not just just another number. There's nothing nothing worse than walking into a shop being saying, um, just what are you looking for? Can I help you? It's much better having a story or pointing out something or being that warm, friendly approach. So there's no pressure on the person walking in, but also they, they're being looked after. So how do you train up your staff so that they aren't just doing those glib responses? Once again, says it's about having good systems. This is how we do it in our business. This is our method. And role-playing. Lots of role-playing so people, so your team can learn and also be comfortable. I find that if they've got a system to follow and they've given samples what to say, of course they need to put in their own language, but if they know how to respond, then they're much more comfortable and they're more confident. And then if they practice it, of course, then it becomes second nature to them. Would you suggest that there's like almost a handbook that you create a customer service handbook for your your employees so that before they even start the job, they've got something they can look at? Absolutely, Seth. It's all about training too. So good training, you can see when you walk into a store or deal with a business, how much training they've had the more training they can be given and information that might just start with a checklist, but then as you improve that, over time it becomes a manual. So it then becomes the office or the shop manual that follows procedures that all your team have to know. When I was at Taxi Kitchen, um, any of the team members, they they were not eligible for any tips until they could pass our questionnaire on customer service. And often that mightn't be till the third month. They had a whole series of questions about, certainly about our systems, our greetings, our farewells, the procedure at the table, etc. But also some knowledge too about food and wine. And until they passed that, they weren't eligible for tips. We never had one complaint. In fact, they were so keen to get on with it, of course, that they learnt much faster and could see the point of why it was important because also it increased the potential of tips too. 
Yeah, I, I love when you go to a, a restaurant and the staff is really knowledgeable about the menu and the wine and the experience because, you know, that's one of the reasons you go out to a restaurant. You want a nice experience, don't you? And you, you want the staff to be able to go, oh, you know, the chef's created a beautiful special today. It's, you know, whatever it may be. And they you can tell whether they've tasted the food or not or whether they're just reciting something that they've learnt by rote. So did you also make kind of tastings, something that you did at Taxi Kitchen? Absolutely. I've always been pedantic about changing our menu at least quarterly so we go with the seasons. So we're serving what's in season and suits also the weather and climate. And also as we change the menu, we have all the team there and have a full tasting of all dishes. And then when there's a special on the night, there's a briefing before each service where there's a taste of that new, whatever the dish might be for that night, or full explanations. So they understood that too. And the tips that you're giving, they apply kind of across the board because um, our listeners, uh, they'll know from the intro a bit of a background about you, but you have run massive businesses in many different areas from convention center style businesses to you know you like a had a horse stud or something at one point didn't you that's right yeah i've had a mixed background <laughs> i um start uh, went to uh, boarding school then off to university in canberra which i loved and um although i wanted to do hospitality management at school but going to a conservative boarding school in geelong they and my parents said oh no that's not a real job. Why would you want to do that? You're better off going off to university and getting a degree first. And then if you want to do something else, you can, which is a typical. But so I went off to university, did a commerce degree. First job was Price Waterhouse, which was fantastic. Great training ground. But I was also a competitive horse rider and I rode at elite level throughout Australia. And I wanted to combine the two. So I moved to the country and became a partner in a, an accounting firm at 25. And I could travel around Australia competing on weekends and also work very hard in the profession. And that I learned a lot then too about dealing with people. And most of those horse riders and businesses behind that became my clients because one, they knew me, they trusted me, and I was one of them. And being able to relate was really important. And I learned that at an early age, how important it was to be able to talk to people on their level to make them feel comfortable to build a relationship. And that's what all sales is about. It's all about building a relationship. And so how do we get a real understanding of what our customers want from from the relationships that they have with our brands? Ask them. Always ask them. We don't do enough of the right type of survey with our customers and potential customers. People, if you do it at the right time, people like being asked their opinion. And it it doesn't mean a rote, just an email sent out. As I mentioned before, it's much better to try and do it personally where possible. Harder online, of course, or impossible. But where you can, that ask people what they want and then deliver. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about uh, chatbots? Because there's been a lot of uh, talk about, you know, chat GPT and the way it's changing Uh, how we do business and how it will change how we do business over the next decade or so. Yeah, I must admit, I've just started using ChatGPT and I'm amazed how incredibly 
incredibly good it is. Being asked questions and after the different uh, responses in different ways and to come back so quickly, uh, I don't think I want to be a copywriter in the future. I mean, it's quite amazing how it, it, it fine tunes. And I think that's something we need to adapt to and use in the right sense, but we can't lose that personal touch and that relationship. So if a business might not have, um, you know, the money perhaps to employ staff for that customer experience role, but they do have an online presence, would you kind of recommend that they use a chatbot to sort of automate some of those simple customer service questions? Absolutely. I think that's great. But I also think that that should be an option and there should be other options too so that that's not the only thing they can do because that I think is even more frustrating. Mm. Although I kind of do like the fact that it does make it 24-7 if you've got a simple query, like you can just jump online and ask the bot and they're available around the clock rather than a poor person that's stuck doing a, a night shift. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. That's your spot on there. It, uh, that 24-7 now because we are a 24-7 economy and worldwide, of course, it's more global, but also people have got time at night to search and do that and purchase, of course. So they need to have that information ready when they're ready to purchase. All right. We'll be back with more from Milton after this short break. And we're back with Milton Collins and we're talking all things customer experience. Thanks again for joining me, Milton. My pleasure. Now, customer experience. How can we personalise our customer interactions better across the whole customer journey? Once again, it's about a system. You need to make sure that from the point of interaction, from the first lead that you've generated for your business, that then there's a good follow-through procedure to make sure you deliver, that it's not just haphazard, that it's consistently giving good quality service and, of course, trying to get feedback wherever you can. And also have your team and friends go in and do purchases from you too to see what their experience is and get good, honest feedback on that too. Plus, I love mystery shoppers. I think mystery shopping is a fantastic thing, both online or uh, in person. So when, say, someone's a first-time visitor to our, our website, what should we be encouraging them to do to make sure that they, that, you know, they convert, that the sale converts? What kind of approach should we be taking? Firstly, the, the website needs to, to have an offer. It needs, because a lot of people in visiting websites spend amazingly small amounts of time. So unless you capture their attention, they'll move on. So you need to have an offer, be it either via a landing page or be it by your main website. So there's an offer there that attracts their attention. If you've been doing marketing about a certain product you're trying to sell, that should be linked to a landing page. So as soon as they go in there, it gives them further information to help guarantee that sale because people don't want to waste time. They want to get straight to the point and I think that's really important. If you then get their attention there, then they're more inclined to look further through your website to see what else you might have to offer. What about if they come to the site and, you know, you can see that they've browsed around, they've clicked through things, but then 
they actually haven't made a sale, how can you encourage them to come back? Yeah, good, good question again. Uh, once again, if you could have, and your system will have this, of course, to be able to follow it up too. You've seen they've been to your site. You then need to follow them up to either make an offer or let them know there's something else that's happening or coming up in the future. Yeah, or, oh, you left that that shampoo in the shopping cart. <laughs> Come back and get it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, absolutely. Or a special offer about that too, or some story about the shampoo that's going to help. So once again, you're trying to build a relationship too. And that's the important part because people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And the same online. It's not just in person. It's online too. Yeah. So how can businesses better explore that then so that customers are clear about who they're, they're, who they're purchasing from? They need, they need simple information about you. I love testimonials. Testimonials to me are so powerful and I think that is critical to have good, strong, to-the-point testimonials from respectable, but they need to be real testimonials too, of course, and that people look at that, I think, far more than anything else. What about if it's a, a repeat customer? How do, we, how do we make sure we keep that loyalty, how, that we keep the customer engaged? Yep, knowing, knowing their information so that once you've captured their address and what they've purchased before, even refreshing that, that you're, you're aware of that so there's not just something special. If it's um, that we're talking about online there, but, you know, the great thing too is in say, retail for a coffee, remembering how you have your coffee if you're a regular customer or remembering what you had last time. That's tough, but the good businesses do that and do it very well. Yeah, it's quite funny. We do, we do these funny little polls every week uh, at work and once we did one that was about whether you would go back to the coffee shop if they didn't remember your order or your name and yeah. people were very passionate about it, like, you know, if after a month they'd been to a coffee shop and the, they didn't know what their order was or didn't know who they were, they were like, no. Nah. Even if it had the best coffee in the in the neighbourhood. So it, it really yeah. does say something about how people want, you know, they want that that sense of familiarity that, that you know you know them and you're selling just to them, that you're like a special customer. Absolutely correct. As we mentioned earlier, it's it's all about the experience because it's not just the coffee, it's that experience, it's the welcome, it's the, the recognition. It makes them feel a bit special if that happens. And especially now, especially in tourism, that the market now, they're wanting tourism experiences and they want to meet the locals. They want to know where the locals eat and stay, etc. So that it's all about that experience. It's not just looking at the obvious sites. It's that welcome. And also people often choosing travel on food and wine now, which is fantastic if you're in that in that league. Mm-hmm. But you, you have quite a few great stories about uh, customer experience from your hotel slash convention days. Would you mind sharing a few? Because I remember you telling me one about some little tricks that you did for the reception people to know who the the hotel guests were. Would you mind sharing? Certainly, yeah. We, um, at Capacity Country House, um, what I bought was a rundown conference centre. So we built it up very quickly. It ended up winning Telstra Business of the Year and lots of other customer service awards. But what we did was simple things. We had, a, we had a lovely long driveway coming in. So you could see guests arriving by car easily. 
and they'd pull up at the front door. The rule was to all team, and it didn't matter who the team member was, the door was always open for them and they were greeted at the door. And it wouldn't matter if it was the gardener walking past or the chef. In fact, even nicer if they did it than the receptionist. They were made welcome straight away. And then at reception, as soon as they left, the reception would write down a description of each guest in their name and any other information they may have gleaned on the arrival. That was then circulated to all team members so that every we knew every guest's name. Now, because we only had 24 rooms, it wasn't that hard, I mean, although big numbers, but often guests, especially conference guests, were staying two or three days, so we got to know them. And even team members that had never, they'd never seen before knew their name, just blew them away. Just something that simple because we went to that effort to remember their name, but also meant that the team members tried harder to look after them just by going through that process. That kind of plays nicely into the delight section of your book. So what are some some other ways that we can delight our customers? We used to find out what our, especially our regular, we had a lot of facilitators that came and liked our venue and they'd bring back different companies. So we found out what they liked. And we had one facilitator who was quite difficult, but we got on well with her because we listened to what she wanted. And we found out that she loved her golf. So when she arrived, we'd have the latest golf magazine beside her bed. She loved licorice, but didn't like, there was one type that she didn't like, but we found out what she liked. We had licorice sitting in her room for her too. We had a favourite flower. We also knew which colour she liked too. So, and she used to say to us, you know, you do everything what textbooks tell you to do. You not only ask what people want, but then you deliver. And she said, you've almost created a new level of service here because we know what we should be doing, but some businesses just don't do it. And the extra little touches that we did for her, sure, we made sure she was well looked after and it was great food and the, all the conferences were, were spot on, but she loved those little extra touches and hence kept coming back and bringing companies all the time because she felt special there and knew that we would deliver. Yeah, I think what you're touching on there, that delivery portion of the customer experience journey, that can often be where customers feel let down, isn't it? Because there's a lot of promises made uh, with a service or a product, and unless you deliver on them, then you're going to have a disappointed customer. So how do we make sure we're, we're delivering on our promises? Once again, good systems, so we don't lose the chance. But also, I have to say to my team, I love it when something goes wrong. And you know, they look at me puzzled. I said, that's our chance to build a relationship. Because if something goes wrong and we show how much we care and fix it and deliver, then the client is far more impressed than if it just happens as expected. You know, and it's not a matter of giving away free food or free wine. Number one is listening to their complaint and then reacting to it. The listening is the most important part. It goes back to that feedback, doesn't it? Because there's not really yes. any bad feedback, even when it is bad feedback. It's an opportunity to learn more about how you can do things better. So, We used to find that our best customers were, in some cases, something had gone wrong and we'd built a relationship. And they were then became very loyal after that because we cared so much. Yeah, it's like there's 
a lot of problems with negative reviews on, you know, online about businesses and services and oftentimes fake reviews where it's a competitor has put something dodgy. But just leaving them and letting them sit there is not the, the thing to do. You can't ignore that, can you? It's You need to be responsive. Certainly not always respond and respond positively, always thanking them for their comments. And in some cases, you know, I've seen reviews like that, as you said, some are false, where they said, thank you for your response. However, you weren't here on those dates or we don't have any record of your of your stay. People are quite are amused by that. But as long as that's real, it's got to be real. It can't be, you know, your way out. But if something has gone wrong, take the blame, take it on the chin. Thank them for for pointing it out and what you're going to do to try and minimise that in the future and invite them back to see how you've changed on their their recommendations or on their comments. What about um, then that emotional impact? So you've, you've the the customer's gone, oh, this wasn't quite right and you've responded and it's ended up being um, turned the negative into a positive. Is that also really important that you kind of when you're training up your staff as well, that that you talk also about that empathy to the customer and the emotional impact of, of the customer journey? Absolutely. I still work on emotional intelligence with my team and to, for them to understand the empathy. And, you know, I used to say, especially in the restaurant industry, that, you know, a great comment, I don't mind if people come here to spend money and to have a good time. We're in the entertainment business. We're here to entertain and we do it through our food, our welcome, our warmth, our knowledge. Um, the greeting is so important. And of course, the farewell is critical. The first and last impressions are absolutely so important. And we do training in that too, so that the team would understand that and that emotional connection and the warmth and when to use it and when to back off and when to be visible through training and once again, role playing made a huge difference. So how can you show your appreciation to customers as well? If say it's a repeat customer, should you be showing your appreciation to start with? Oh, absolutely. Number one, thank them. Recognize, or sorry, recognize them first, thank them. Anything else you've gleaned from the past with database now, it's so easy to put in some favorite things that they might like and make sure we can offer that, especially if you know the wine they had last time and they enjoyed. Can we even offer that again or say, perhaps this time you might like to try this, it's something similar. Once again, it's that relationship that it's made and, and creating an experience that they're treated as a valued return, not just a customer, but almost a friend. And in the country, we found that very easy. They became friends. And that was a great accolade for us too, that they were that comfortable. And you're talking about, um, you know, you've got the data and stuff these days where it's very easy to segment your customers. And is it also about, you know, creating sort of personas for these are these particular customer, this is that particular customer, that they have different journeys and like different expectations? Is it is it as kind of regimented as that? It needs to have a structure like that, Seth, but it also has to be fluid so that here is our structure, our system, but I used to love to encourage people to step outside that to even break the system to improve it because if they weren't trying to challenge it 
and trying to do things differently, then we'd never improve. So whilst we had systems, if they could step outside over and above, then they were certainly rewarded for that too. Mm. And would you encourage businesses to, you know, have software like a, a CRM, Customer Relationship Management System? Critical. Yeah, CRMs, I think, now are mandatory for any, well, number, especially for online, but even retail, uh, restaurants, the more information you have about a client to actually then, especially if you know their dietary, that's really important. If you can, if they're gluten-free, et cetera. And I remember when I first had the restaurants, you know, we used to complain about discreetly vegetarians because they were the only thing that was a bit different. <laughs> we never came across gluten-free and dairy intolerance, all the other intolerances, but now that's almost the norm. So you need to have a good system there. And especially if people could have anaphylactic uh, reactions to it, it's critical from a legal point of view too. You know that information. So if I'm wanting to improve my customer experience, what kind of goals should I be setting? What's the wow factor? I'm not just delivering a service or a product. How am I wowing my customer? What's going to, what's that something unexpected, that small surprise that will make them think, wow, that's not what I expected. How good is that? And that's what they'll talk about. That's what they'll tell their friends about, that extra something additional that you've done for them that wasn't expected. And I used to say to my team, we'd have, after I'd say a big conference group there, we'd always have a debrief because debriefing was very important. And always, you know, we, we were good at what we did because we worked hard at it, had good systems. But always I said, okay, that was great, but how do we make it better next time? What's something else we could do? What's the wow factor that we can do? And the team loved that because we always came up with different ideas or how about this, how about that? Some were dreadful ideas, of course, but we workshopped it and the team loved that idea. Not that I was always expecting more. It was more about, okay, what else can we do that's different? What don't our competitors do? What makes us unique in the market? And how would I know if, if my customer experience might be going down the gurgler? What would be some signs? <laughs> well, number one, they stop coming back. Uh, two, obviously, if there's any uh, online. But so many people will not do anything. They just won't come back. They won't tell you about it or they won't. It's easy to go somewhere else. And I think you need to be aware of that too, who's not coming back, but also how they leave. And that's why that farewell is so critical. Now, even an online farewell is important, but especially in retail and, and tourism and service industries, that farewell is critical. And you can tell by their reaction whether they are happy with it, better still if they're blown away by it. Mm. So where does trust kind of factor into the customer experience? Absolutely, absolutely critical. It's that, as, we've, as I mentioned, the... People do business with and purchase what they know, like, and trust. And that trust you have to build. You can't expect that, be it your product or your service. People need to be at trust in that or they won't purchase or they may never purchase again. So to build that trust element is about the relationship, whether it's about the make it easy to purchase, the quality of the product at the price point, but also the service and how they've had a great experience. And is it also, do we need to think that it's not just about, in terms of the business, that they're not just thinking about selling the product or 
pushing out a service. It's also about, oh, we're doing this thing or selling this thing because we believe it's great for the customer. Sure. The, the best salespeople build relationships and they talk to the customer and let the customer do the talking. In fact, they listen. They just listen by asking the right questions and then listening. And the customer will usually sell themselves if you go to that trouble and build that relationship and ask the right questions and listen. And how good does my customer experience need to be these days? Is it everything? <laughs> um, you've got to have the right product, of course, because sometimes I, mean, I, I still buy the odd product where I don't get good customer service, but the product's so good. Now, that's rare, though, because there's so much competition, especially online and globally. So, but you wouldn't want to rely on that. If you've got the best product, but then can back that up with the best service, then it's, it's a no-brainer. Then you're going to purchase more of that and refer more of that. I mean, there are products that I buy that I say it's the worst service, but the product's good. And I put up with that because, because of the product, but it's not the way to go at all. And um, you spoke a bit earlier about, you know, always kind of surveying your customers. The best is sort of that anecdotal feedback that you get on the day-to-day. But if I'm creating an actual customer survey that I want to send out to people, what sort of questions should I be considering including? What I've done in the past is so many surveys, one that I've received, but two just on online or Google it. And you pick out some questions from other surveys that are going out that's relevant to your product. But it's got to be relevant to your product. And once again, it's building the relationship and making it, finding out what the client, customer, what they want. Not what you're trying to sell is what they want, what they expect and react to that. Mm. What about customization? We're all expecting a much more personal experience these days. So is it is it difficult to create kind of that customizable experience? I think very. I, I think we all want good customer service, but in other cases though, we're moving away from that too by one online, two supermarkets where you now do your own checkout. And um, and so much now you do yourself. You know, the, the banks are closing all so many aids now because it's all online. You know, post offices are closing now and others are trying to sell other products to the post offices. So, and I don't call that good, that's not good customer service. So I hear more complaints at the moment about customer service, more so than good stories about it. So I think in some ways we almost accept that customer service is not great, but I think after COVID, people enjoyed getting back into stores and restaurants and, you know, the spend went right up enormously because people wanted back to have that experience. And I know that any events that were being held were booked out because people were dying to get back out again for that experience rather than just all the online. So, like, you mentioned things like, you know, bank branches closing and that kind of the human side of customer service and customer experience kind of slipping away in certain areas is is there a case though for creating a great digital customer experience oh absolutely and i think that's that's important you have to if you're going to be closing your banks etc you've got to make the digital experience really easy 
But there are so many times, though, where people want to talk to somebody. They want to be walked through it. They want to be helped out. And that is a not just a minority of people. That's really important. And yes, you have your chat bots. That helps to a point. But once again, that personal interaction. So if the digital experience is not meeting your need, you need to be able to then, then get some personal advice online at the time. Or better still, they ring you back or contact you at a time you've given them or they've given you an idea so that there is a complete experience, not just this is how we do it, full stop. And so when it's a hard question, you, you, you get referred to a real person as opposed to a, a bot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like your whole delight the customer approach to customer experience, but what if I'm a bit of a one-man band? How can I make sure that I'm always delighting my customers? should be easier because if you're the one main person that's dealing with people, be it a service or your own retail shop or whatever you're doing, or um, then there's no excuse. But you still should have a checklist, a system to make sure you're consistent in your offering and you're genuine and you listen to the customer. That's probably the biggest take home should be listen to what the customer wants by asking questions and even probing gently what they want they'll tell you they're only too happy to tell you what they want what's important to them and if you can fulfill that need then you'll have a sale and it, should it be a one-size-fits-all approach or as to uh, do you valued customers get more value from you or oh absolutely. i mean it should be personalized it's about empathy it's about emotional intelligence it's about as a, the listening should provide you with how to react in that situation. So once again, listen to what they're asking and then provide what they've asked for, not what you're trying to sell. So, and sometimes it's a, we really can't help you. That's not what we can do here, but we could refer you on. That can also build loyalty too, because you're so honest about it. Yeah, don't try and um, make up something that you can do that's not gonna fit the bill. <laughs> Certainly not, because it'll be returned anyway. Or if they don't return it, they'll speak very badly of you and certainly won't refer. Because the, the greatest the greatest customer or client is a referred customer or client. Because already their friend or other business have done the selling for you and they've come along wanting to buy from you. So it should be an easy sale. How do you cultivate that that word of mouth, that great word of mouth? Ask for it. I ask for referrals. And I use lines like, um, thank you. I've really enjoyed working with you. It's been a great experience. Do you have any other friends or associates that I'd also enjoy working with? And that way you compliment them, number one, so you make them feel good, and two, you then ask for the referral. The important part is asking. Don't expect people to refer. You need to ask for it sometimes build incentives in there, but not always incentives, just even asking at the right time when that client's totally happy, which is usually just when you provide the service or the product, that's when you compliment them. Genuinely though, it's gotta be for real, and then ask for the referral. Thank you so much, Milton. I think that's probably all we've got time for. It's been so great chatting to you today. You've had such valuable insights for 
our listeners on customer experience and customer service and how you can really up the ante on how you're delivering what you promise to your customers. Thanks. It's been my pleasure too. And thanks for, thanks for the probing questions. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you.